0: Welcome to Bickering Peaks. With Aiden. And Lindsay. Welcome to Bickering Peaks. I'm Lindsay. I'm Aiden. And we're here to equalize your Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever you're listening whenever to it. Whenever you're this. listening to it, really. We're, we're, we're talking the equalizer today.
1: Yeah. Uh, because it is a Mark Frost uh, project.
0: Well, well he, wrote, really. he wrote two episodes He wrote two episodes. It. episodes. It's let's, really not a project. Yeah, let's not exaggerate,
1: but. but yes. So it was just, it was two episodes. It was, uh, both of them were in the first season of The Equalizer. I believe there were two seasons. There the were weird. four
0: seasons. There were
1: four seasons of this show. Four
0: seasons of The Equalizer. Okay. It overlaps quite a bit with uh, Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark Frost was writing this in, I think the show started in 1986.
1: 1980- I believe. Yeah, so, and they are both first season episodes that he wrote.
0: I yeah, thought. so I'm not sure where he was in the Hill. Street Blues. He
1: might have been phasing out at that point. Yeah, yeah so. but
0: um, I'm not sure if this was if he was expecting this to be the next big thing. Um, but yeah, clearly his two episodes in the first season and 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 this show isn't exactly on the same level no, as Hill Street Blues.
1: No, it it's a very so. simple show. Uh, it was more reminiscent of Six Million Dollar Man, and that it's yeah, it's kind of. You know, it uses a lot of tropes and there's not a lot of depth to the characters And it, or it
0: feels like every episode is self-contained. So mm-hmm. you watch it week to week. It's not, you know, multi-story or multi-episode story arcs like you had on Hill Street or um, in any of the other more complex shows that were starting to come out now. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that that just was another reason why we didn't see uh, Mark Frost's season 2, 3, or 4 episode. But also, let's keep in mind that by the time season 2, 3, and 4 were airing, uh, Mark Frost and David Lynch were already working on their projects. So mm. they had uh, one a bubble and they were working on the Marilyn Monroe project and then mm. eventually working on Twin Peaks. So um, he had bigger fish to fry. Yes. Or knew that bigger fish were, we're going to way. be yes. coming his way. Yeah. yeah. But let's talk about the equalizer.
1: Sure. Let's talk about so, it.
0: So. Uh, first of all, when Aiden mentioned that this was a show that Mark Frost did, I immediately thought of the 2014 movie with, I think it's Denzel, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, yeah, yeah. Which, funnily enough, is a remake yeah. of this TV show. But in name and uh, some really bare only, plot yeah. elements only.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, I did not know that this show even existed.
1: Yeah, really, neither did I. Uh, and to, in a gist, this uh, it follows the it follows Edward Woodward.
0: Edward Woodward. The Edward actor Woodward. Edward Woodward, who has way too many words in his... <laughs> Wards.
1: Wards. Wards Woodward. Edwards Woodward. <laughs> uh, he plays Ian McCall. Is that... Is it Ian? I thought it was Ian... Robert. Robert. He plays Robert McCall, uh, a former CIA agent. mi
0: six, think, maybe? Well, he's he's formerly formerly covert ops agent. <laughs> okay. They don't really get into specifics about it. Yeah. Um, it's an unnamed U.S. government intelligent organization, mm. which throughout the course of the show was referred to as the agency or the company. Mm. Um, so, I mean, people have implied it's CIA. But anyway, he's... No longer working for them, he's kind of taken on a private investigator role.
1: Yeah, called the Equalizer. The
0: Equalizer. Yeah. And he gets his work through the newspaper. <laughs>
1: apparently. So, apparently. Based on the two episodes we watched. Yes.
0: Well, no, it, it, that's that's and what that is Wikipedia a pretty, says, okay, too. Okay, as well. Okay. Um, he, uh, through a classified ad where he puts his, his phone number in, and, and he writes it, Got a problem? Odds against you? Call the Equalizer. So, yeah, it's kind of... And that's really and that's, this, that's his the series job. in a nutshell. Yeah. But 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 the two episodes that we watched and other episodes that we've read about say that he never gets paid for any of these jobs. He mm-hmm. kinda does it as a sense of out of a sense of moral um yeah, necessity. Yeah, yeah think, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, he has this moral compass that he has to do yeah. these these do things. Rights, yeah, by people, yeah. Um so I don't know how he finances his lavish lifestyle, which he does have. So that's I guess maybe better left to the imagination perhaps yes but um
1: and again we did just watch the two episodes uh so there might have been some setup in the first couple episodes perhaps really
0: the only setup is how he got his name i think which interestingly given to him by a character played by jerry stiller
1: really yeah
0: so that's why i think we should go back and watch the pilot
1: maybe I but mean, <laughs> after
0: we recorded the podcast and really kind of you know crapped the bet on
1: this, yeah but. yeah well that's fine because <laughs> honestly the the show at a high level uh, was not the most engaging uh, it was like you said it was no hill street um, it's a very it's a much simpler show uh, as as I mentioned as well uh, it's it it's still enjoyable I'd say it's it's still fluffy and entertaining it's it yeah it reminds me a lot more of six his work on the six million dollar man because mm-hmm. uh, he kind of jumped into these characters that um you know aren't really you know the most spellbinding characters they don't have a lot of depth they don't have a lot of what are you talking about
0: steve Austin was absolutely captivating
1: yeah well captivating yes but you know <laughs> not not a man of many layers let's just put it that way well robotic layers okay anyways uh, so uh and the, the show does uh kind of feel similar in that way
0: he so we didn't talk about what he does
1: well yeah, he fixes people's problems.
0: But he fixes problems with with like criminal masterminds yeah, and yeah, bad guys, that's right? True. Like yeah, these are is. these <laughs> are um kidnappers and murderers and yeah. you know bad union bosses or not union bosses, <laughs> anti-union. guys anti-union bosses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so that's that's you know just a little extra
1: tidbit there. Yeah, no and it's it's worth mentioning cuz yeah, if they're just he just fixes problems is, you know. Yeah. They, I, my I door mean, is stuck. Yeah, I mean my lawn mode. That's I locked myself out of for. my car. Um, call
0: the equalizer. <laughs> not quite.
1: But no. Uh, it is worth mentioning that uh, this show is set in New York and it feels and it is. It's filmed, filmed in, in New, New York. York. This yeah. I mean really this is this is well hilarious done. because
0: Aiden and I have been rewatching Seinfeld just in our off hours, uh, when we're not podcasting
1: mm-hmm.
0: and handling our Twitter account poorly.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and that's a show that's filmed in Burbank Uh, and and yeah and you can tell you can tell (laughs) Friends another one filmed in LA you can tell Um, although I I will admit I was quite devastated when I found out that both of those shows were not filmed in filmed in New York City these were shows yeah. that I grew up with, and I thought, that's what New York was like. And it was always had my filmed
1: in front of shattered. a live studio audience. They don't do that in New yeah, York, well. really. Yeah. But anyways.
0: Anyway, yeah. this is absolutely filmed on location yeah. in New York, and it feels like it, and it and it works for the atmosphere. If so yeah. there's one thing that this show has, it's that gritty New York atmosphere yeah. Um, But it's also mid-80s as well. It's so (laughs) 80s. It's like, I mean...
1: The theme song. Uh, I mean, come on. You you had a nice little uh, uh, tidbit on uh, that. Yeah,
0: Stuart Copeland, who is from The Police. The Police. He wrote the theme song for Mm -hmm. the show, uh, which I thought was interesting because not two years, three years before this, David Lynch is working with Sting, Mm -hmm. and here Mark (laughs) Frost is working on a show with Stuart Copeland. Uh, Composition is the intro music. But... um, yeah and and so yeah that's obviously the theme music is quite 80s but you know everything. having addicted to love playing in the bar just the bar, <laughs> oh, the scene, bar scene totally yeah are, the, are, the
1: second episode featured a bar quite heavily and it is the most 80s yeah. lounge bar but the, the first episode too had like a, a like a penthouse suite kind of thing and it was very super 80s uh costumes hairstyles everything Chrome, screams 80s. oh yeah mirrored everything. walls Yes. Very
0: shiny. It was just very 80s. And I love that. It just, it feels like... Um, it's a little time
1: capsule. It's, it is. It's yeah, nice. exactly. Yeah. So that's
0: kind of cool to watch. But um, and that was... Is- <laughs> one of the only things that was cool to that watch was really about cool show. to watch
1: it's true and it, it just brought a contrast to the fact that this was on at the same time as Hill Street Blues yeah. but Hill Street Blues feels so 70s it yes. uh, really feels grounded in that time and they never really deviated from that even yeah. after seven seasons it was always set in the 70s yeah. uh, but this one yeah was was bringing it up to, to speed yeah. for uh, Mark's uh, Mark's cheese for you, Mark Frost's <laughs> my experience here on geez, a first name basis with apparently. those apparently <laughs> um,
0: So the two episodes we watched, like we said, Mark Frost wrote the two, uh, episode 16 and episode 20 Mm -hmm. of of season one. The first one was called Wash Up. Mm -hmm. And it is a story about these two window washers I shit you not. <laughs> Two window washers who are, are part to, of a company and they're trying to unionize and their boss is a union buster. He doesn't really want them to unionize. Mm. Um, so they and call apparently is user. engaged yeah. in he they are convinced that this guy is trying to kill them. Yeah. And uh, successfully kills one of them.
1: Well, eventually, the yeah, course yeah. of the
0: episode. Yeah. Uh, which seems like a very extreme response to your employees trying to unionize? Well, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the first one, it was kind of like a warning, and then the second one, he just pushed him, and he was all coked up. I think, like, the bad guy yeah. gets, gets really into it. Okay, so generally, we can see, talk about the structure of this episode. It's not paced particularly great. No. It was kind of haphazard. There were some loose plot threads that were just kind of dangling Well, okay, there. but
0: first of all, every episode begins with a montage of scenes yeah. that explain everything that's about to happen
1: that might have just been from the dvd it might have that been we watched we're from, not 100
0: percent sure yeah. but that really did seem odd because then you'd be <laughs> we we thought maybe these were scenes from the last episode yeah. that preceded the the next episode that would keep you up catch up to speed but nope they were just <laughs> scenes ripped entirely from what we were about to watch so that was a little bit strange um But yeah, also the pacing then gets uh, odd. Like I, I felt it more in the second episode than the first one, but um, but anyway,
1: no, it was it was it was interesting that way. I mean, it's it's, and I can't and based on a two episode sample, it's not really tell if this is representative of the show as a whole. But it felt like it kind of was. Like I felt like they were this. Like, uh, there were a couple of recurring characters that kind of jump in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, his friends and his house cleaner, apparently, is, I mean, it's your character, perhaps. Well, just
0: in that one episode, though. <laughs> in the one episode, at least, yeah. that we
1: saw. Um, but, yeah, and it, so it felt like they were there was trying to tie some things back into larger arcs, perhaps, or, you know, just having some nice character moments between these characters that you kind of are expected to see every couple of weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't really fit within the plot of the episode at all, and...
0: Well, I mean, in the in the very first episode, so they call the Equalizer after seeing an ad in the paper, and he's on the job, but it's, you know, two-thirds of the way through the episode before he actually does anything about yeah. it, because there's this odd subplot with his—I I don't know if she's his maid or house cleaner yeah. or something— who's looking for an apartment, and she can't find an apartment, so she and her two boys move in with, with him. him. So he becomes like their... The
1: uncle, you know? Yeah, like, which,
0: and, I mean, it's a fine storyline. It works well in, in comedy yeah, sitcoms funny, at the time. Yeah. But it didn't fit with this like larger mob, anti-union, window-washer plot that we yeah. had going on, 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 which felt like the side plot to this other plot. Yeah. So that... Felt strange, and I really don't know how much of that is, uh, to you know because of the writing of this particular mm-hmm. episode. So I can't lay that all on Mark Frost.
1: Oh no, not at all. But
0: um, but without watching more episodes, it's hard to tell.
1: Yeah. Uh, so just to finish going over the episode because we're jumping in and out here but so the mob boss the the boss of the anti-union boss is also a a part-time mobster used to be like a a lieutenant in the mob Um, and so he's you know but he's kind of stretched himself thin so he's got his own business but he's spending money like crazy he's got a coke habit obviously Um, and so eventually yes he kills one of the guys who was trying to unionize um, gets away with it because he has two henchmen who you know took his side and the cops didn't press charges. This is when we find out the Equalizer has an in with the local police detective. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the two of them, uh, the Equalizer and the detective, kind of go on the, finally start going on the hunt for how to get to this guy. Um, go to a club where there's a prostitute that he frequents, perhaps. Yeah. I couldn't really tell what their whole relationship was like. Um and eventually get her to to flip on the mob boss, and they set up this this trap and and trap the mob Big boss. Big
0: sting operation. Big sting
1: operation in in like a stadium somewhere. Yeah, it
0: looked like it was like the underbelly of a where the zamboni comes out onto yeah. the onto the <laughs> yeah. hockey the ice rink. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, it and then and then the episode ends with uh, obviously he can't be there because he's not. Police, so yeah. he just slow walks off and towards the camera. And While he
1: had he, a sniper rifle on him the yeah. whole time, like it, it was a uh, very strange kind of tension to have mm-hmm. because you weren't sure if he was going to kill the mob guy, yeah, um, or if he was just going to get him arrested, which seemed to be the plan, yeah. Um, and then there was the mob guy had his own gun, and then he was giving guns to his friends who were involved in the in the setup operation, yeah. It there was a lot of Chekhov's guns that, and none of them went off. It was a very, it was it was a very kind of. Odd uh, feeling to that to that climax scene, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, it ended very abruptly. Yeah, it, it was it was a very strange feeling. Well, and that's thing. partly
0: the pacing. I think the pacing yeah. was just off, and yeah. and it could be because this is a, a one off episode. And given three or four episodes, if this were playing out like a Hill Street arc, mm-hmm. you know, which Mark Frost obviously had much more experience at this point in, that would have played out differently. I totally believe that. So it's it's I mean. It this is this <laughs> The show, uh, the show toes the line between comedy and drama. It, it lands more on comedy mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that kind of lands at this odd air is it, it, the pacing. You're absolutely right. In.
1: Yeah. And and part of what contributes to that is Edward Woodward's uh, <laughs> character of McCall. He's, He's not intimidating at all. No, he he
0: looks like Michael Caine.
1: He looks a lot like Michael Caine. Really
0: a lot like Michael Caine. His accent
1: even is very similar.
0: Well, I mean, Michael Caine has has, a much more London Cockney accent. It's true. But Edward Woodward i I'm just gonna yeah, call yeah, we'll him just, Edward Woodward. Yeah. He uh he he looks like a kindly old uncle and he lives in this penthouse apartment and he's got a he drives Jaguars vest. and oh, yeah, I mean yeah. apparently the show had a contract with Jaguar and they were um trying to <laughs>
1: promote, promote the brand promote yes. the brand.
0: Which I mean
1: Yeah, eighties Jaguars are terrible pieces of crap that break well, down all the time. But yeah, but but uh, uh, yeah, they were, they were a better, to get back It's a better it's a better, better product, product
0: placement than Lane Price. <laughs> product placement in yeah, uh, 60
1: Jaguars were in even Mad Men. worse. So yeah.
0: But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah he, doesn't, it, have he this doesn't have any, any kind intimidating of
1: intimidating air at all. No. And he, it the first episode he confronts the the gangster dude just right out in the open. And it's like, dude, you're going to get shot. Like it, it was, it was really, it was an odd choice. Like it, it, it they tried to make him seem badass. Like yeah, he, he'll just go up to anybody and say anything and he'll back it up. Yeah. But, I didn't feel like that was should have actually well, and been I, the And
0: the thing that bothered me about the first episode that we watched was that there's nothing about him as an individual that would have allowed him to beat this guy. Yeah. He needed the help of the police anyway.
1: Yeah. And and his friends. And his friends. And, and yeah, he doesn't do everything. any actual there's, research or anything. He just hires out. Like He got all this background information on the gangster, but he didn't do it. He yeah. just called the guy and then...
0: Yeah, so it, it felt like it was just um, an excuse to have this character in this situation without him actually like doing anything or needing mm-hmm. to do anything in order to affect the, the quote unquote equalizing moment. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it, it, he's not so special that he could do this on his own. Yeah. And, and even at the opening of the second episode, which we'll get to, um, kind of shows how ridiculous the whole setup is. Like I'm, I, it, there's just something missing about the character. He's not intimidating. He's not particularly strong.
1: Or he's smart, He's kind of even. funny. Yeah. Um,
0: he's kindly, he's an old man He wears sweater vests. Like, there's, it's, an, but it's not Murder, She Wrote. Like, she's <laughs> not, she, it's it's not Angela yeah. Lansbury going yeah. on, you know, these great detective capers where she's figuring yeah. all these things out. It's, it's not Columbo, like, where you've got an old guy older guy you know solving crimes like it feels like it's trying to be that but it's also trying to be James Bond at the same time a little bit
1: yeah there's a bit of a Bond feel which I mean
0: with the the nice British cars the British protagonist yeah um, apparently in other episodes he he gets neat little gadgets from someone <laughs>
1: from a queue. Yeah. Yeah. From
0: a queue. And he's got his own M control that he calls every once in a while. Like, I mean, it, it, there's elements That's there. It feels like it's trying to be that, but it also can't really shake, um, trying to be like a police procedural yeah, or detective right show, but without the, the actual strong, um, yeah, presence of that leading protagonist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of of the flaws of at least of the first one. The second episode, yeah. I found was a little bit more interesting.
0: The second episode is called No Conscience, and uh, and this one I thought worked better as like a funny '80s show, almost like a buddy cop thing.
1: A little bit, like, yeah, know, it was weird. It had. Yeah, it had more interesting characters, I found, yeah. and the plot for me was actually a little bit more concise yes, for, for absolutely. compared to the first one. Uh, so this one told the story of a dude, no, a, woman, a, womanizer. A, womanizing, a womanizing dude, yes.
0: Who uh, probably works on Wall Street. I'm just going to No, he, guess. Was a, he was a... Oh, right. He
1: was a a waiter or something that's like right he is not
0: but he, he he's that that kind of guy like yeah. smarmy 80s yeah. yuppie you know
1: yeah very yuppie look uh so he's he's dating around one night uh goes to bed with a, well at the bar a woman gives him her number on a matchbook mm-hmm. uh then that night he goes home with another girl uh and then when he's leaving her place the next morning he gets kidnapped and he gets beat up and tortured, and these guys interrogate him, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and they're like, you have to bring it back to us in 24 hours. It winds up being 36 hours. Uh, but he has the, no idea, he has what, no it idea what it is. So he calls the equalizer to help him figure it out. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of backtrack. They're like, oh, well, uh, you have to find a woman because the guys who were interrogating him mentioned she gave it to you. Yeah. She gave you the thing. So he's like, well, I know lots of women. So, and That's the just, point. Yeah, he's got to go
0: back through all the women that he slept with or... Interacted with in the yeah. last however long, in order to find out what they've the thing given is, him.
1: Yeah, and he, so they go through the whole list, and of course they can't find it, and then they eventually track down that yes, it's the it's on the matchbook that the woman gave you the night before, and yeah. it's changed hands a bunch of times, and uh, but eventually they do find it, and then they uh, figure out what is on the matchbook that the the bad guys want, which was a diagram or a blueprint <laughs> set, which comes back at the end. Yeah, um, and then yeah, they uh, they kind of uh, oh well, this is so. There's another. This is where uh, there's kind of a weird love interest. Interjected Very at strange this point. love interest
0: played by Laurie Metcalf, uh, who you'll remember um, from Roseanne. She played Roseanne's sister Jackie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so right away, I mean, you see her and you think comedy. It's it's very strange to see her in any kind of drama role. But, but
1: yeah, this is a more serious. It is role, more yeah. serious,
0: but there yeah. are some strange, uh, like you said, love interest elements that happen here because um, she ends up. Well, you explain it. Well, I, I can't
1: because <laughs> it's it's kind of convoluted. But basically, uh, Edward Woodward comes on to her a little bit. Um, and she seems to reciprocate. Um, but then when she finds out what's on the matchbook, she kind of does some devilish details and, and swaps it for another matchbook. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the night, instead of going to bed with Edward Woodward, she goes to bed with uh, the Playboy guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, McCall's a little bit upset. Woodward.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> and so then anyways, that goes on. And then the next day they agree to uh, go and do exchange the matchbook the matchbook thank you with uh, the bad guys um, and then of course uh, the equalizer set up a big trap for them and he, he winds up shooting two of the bad guys and then there's he, a
0: robot there's a
1: robot that was what was on the blueprints yes. the robot shows up out of nowhere to like scare the bad guys it's really not good uh, and then uh, yeah they arrest the the main culprits of the bad guys and then there's the really odd scene where uh, Edward Woodward goes and confronts the girl who'd swapped out the matchbooks yeah. Um, Of course, he figured it out that she'd done this. And then, you know, they have this really weird exchange.
0: Robert, about the other night. Yes, I know. You were just trying to get more information out of him. I was with him, but I was thinking about us.
1: That's funny. That was on. And it just came out of nowhere. It we was, both,
0: like, I think we paused and we looked at each other and i like, did we miss a whole scene? Yeah. Like, did they sleep together? Were they, was there, was there s- any kind of romance there? Because there was
1: no real sexual tension. We described no. it as a romantic moment. It was yeah, not. With air
0: quotes. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was not at <laughs> because all. Because
0: while this is all going on, like, her best friend or her friend or somebody that she yeah. knows has been murdered and she's seen the body, yeah. but within five minutes she's just eating a candlelit dinner <laughs> with... McCall and the Playboy guy, and it just seemed very strange. Like it just wasn't um, the continuity. I think not in the sense that of continuity error that you, people usually use, but just
1: like the emotional, emotional
0: continuity. continuity didn't.
1: It, but it, it, it seemed like that was the the feel of the show yeah. was to have stuff like that, so you could have these funny things. Um, right next to right. pretty dark stuff, right? But it didn't work the no. way it does in Twin Peaks or even or, in Hill Street Blues, at least. Yeah,
0: exactly, where the comedy was born out of the actual situations or the characters that you've come to know. I mean, it's not helpful that we're watching first season episodes and only two of them, but, but these these characters like No, they, but these
1: characters just come in and then they leave. Yeah. Like it's, it's too episodic to really get a feel for the characters beyond, beyond the Equalizer himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really is the only recurring character. We did see one other guy, his one of his assistants. But he's not a permanent, like or
0: a like a he main character. No. He just kind of shows up, helps out.
1: I mean, he had a couple funny lines. He was obviously there as, as a comedic character as yeah. well to some extent. But it it yeah, you didn't have the depth of characters, mm-hmm. uh, or the, I should say the width of characters. Mm-hmm. There weren't that many uh, recurring characters to really develop that feeling for. Um, so relied a lot on the Equalizer. And uh, Edward Woodward, mm-hmm. to be fair, did a pretty good job. Sure. he's He does do the funny lines pretty well. Um, he's not intimidating. He doesn't do the scary stuff very well. Um, and he doesn't come across as, like, super intelligent. Like, the, the show kind of led you to where uh, he was going to go very, very blatantly. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was ever – it's not like Sherlock where sometimes you're watching and you're like – how do you figure that out? And then he yeah, has to explain it to you. Yeah, a clever twist. he's exactly. smarter
0: than everybody else. Yeah. You never got that sense from him. And, no. Um, and again, like I said before, you never got the sense that there was anything innate or special about him that allowed him to solve these crimes. Like, the opening of this episode features him... Um, on some kind of like a sting ambush operation with a guy who's ripping off cab drivers. So it's not like these are all high-stakes things. Like, I'm sure he yeah. does go around fixing people's doors or doing the, <laughs> the underworld crime version Equivalent, of yeah. uh, fixing someone's doors because this is just a cab driver who's being ripped off by this one guy. And, uh, and he approaches him pretending to be a news crew and with one of his assistants carrying a big camera and he's pretending to be the... BBC reporter and um, yeah, it was a it's, weird. It's a weird very feeling. like it's a strange way, and that's what opens the episode, which is it's clever in that way because it shows that there's other things going on, and it does set up the cab driver as an ally later yeah, which on, comes up who later on. Um, reveals where Laurie Metcalf's character lives. But um, beyond that, it it doesn't speak to any kind of cleverness. It just it seems kind of ad hoc. It felt like the way a sitcom will go about
1: having yes. characters yeah.
0: in reach the goal that they're looking for. It's, yeah. it's through very convoluted, backwards ways yeah. that don't follow any kind of logic. No. Like, it wouldn't frighten me if I were a bad guy and some, you know...
1: Yeah, trench coat wearing. year old wearing, yeah, trench coat <laughs> With guy. a
0: microphone, shoves a camera in my face. Yeah, I'd, yeah, like, I'd probably just knock him out. Yeah, right? exactly. Like it doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, in that sense, it, it, it does kind of strain credulity a little bit.
1: Yeah. I can't take on right, good I can.
0: So we've shat all over this show <laughs> at this point. Is there anything redeeming? Well, we talked about the set design and, yep. and how the show itself kind of feels um appropriate in the way that it's filmed and being shot on location helps that a lot
1: yeah definitely and it, i mean it influenced a lot of uh i mean as a kind of a, an amalgam of the two mark frost shows mm-hmm. this and hill street blues uh bleed perfectly together into law and order i mean early or late 80s law and order like the early early law and order stuff is a reminiscent of exactly that balance between the two shows to yeah. be honest like it's it's set in new york filmed in new york it has a bit more grit than the equalizer. Less comedy. Less, far less comedy, obviously, but it, <laughs> but it has the Hill Street Blues procedural yeah, crime stuff. Yeah, Exactly, and, 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 the, and like a, a bit more reality to it, yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, I guess it, it is kind of a, uh
0: segue? A segue, or, yeah, thank yeah. you, that's the word I it was d- for. Yeah, and it feels of a piece of the time, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it, it works within the broader landscape of that kind of nighttime television that this fed into, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was on CBS, so it was a, a network television show. Um, so, it, I mean, this absolutely fits in with, with what else was being offered yeah. at the time. It also feels like it—I I mean, there's seeds of some Twin Peaksy kinds of things here. And one of the things that immediately jumped out—it's probably the only one I—, I I'd have to watch more, more to maybe more to get more, get more. But, but I mean, having a, an upright law enforcement—you know, federal yeah. law enforcement agent—who's going to stand up for the good of yeah. the people. I mean, I feel like that's and and the two plot plots that Mark Frost did write. You know, especially the one about anti-union and stuff. Yeah. There's like a moral center to Edward Woodward, to Robert McCall um, as a character that Agent Cooper definitely has, and mm. and I feel like that kind of it did. I mean, I'm not going to say in any way, shape, or form because Mark Frost didn't create this character, but I could see how when it came to writing Dale Cooper, um, or Harry Truman, or Gordon mm-hmm. Cole, or even Albert Rosenfield, you've got this strong um, character center mm-hmm. that is that he's going to do good, he's going to do right by the downtrodden, and um, fix things and put things to rights. And I feel like that's something that is. Um, that comes out of shows like this. And Mm -hmm. and Hill Street had it too, but there was a lot more gray area and conflict, conflicted interests in that show, um, which is more like reality. This show being a little bit removed from reality feels more like Twin Peaks in that sense. So I feel like it does make a nice bridge between Hill Street and Twin Peaks if we're looking at Mark Frost's career in that kind of way.
1: Yeah. And the other, uh, just speaking of Mark Frost's impact on this show and the way it was felt I found the dialogue especially the, the, yeah. the jokes were very Mark Frost yeah. uh, some of the witty uh, back and forth was you know something that, that feels at home in, in some of the quicker scenes in Twin Peaks um, and yeah I mean the, the structure of the second episode matched a bit more closely just because you know you had different elements uh, and plots kind of coming together into mm-hmm. you know one good climactic scene Yeah, um, and then there were you know resolved or threads hanging loose that, you know, eventually get wrapped up as well. Um, I mean, the romantic thing came, came out, out, out of nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> I, I, I honestly feel like that was just added in after yeah. uh, he'd written the script, I hope. Uh, but, you know, it, other than that, I mean, it was, yeah, it was kind of hard to distinguish a lot of Frostian elements, I might say.
0: Well, but it's interesting that, I mean, that's why we were doing this, mm-hmm. this kind of project, going back through the back catalog, so to speak, um, to try and identify these things because it is hard and everybody points to Twin Peaks and the weird elements and and all of the stuff is being totally lynched. But there are definitely things that now that we've familiarized Mm -hmm. ourselves with Mark Frost's earlier output, we can point to them within Twin Peaks and say, well, actually, like the dialogue is something that I, I really hadn't realized how important mark frost role was in that mm-hmm. and it's so clear once you've seen what he's written in the past
1: yeah, three um, bombs <laughs> i mean there's some there's some jokes that you're just like that's a mark frost joke <laughs>
0: that was more in the delivery sure when you're talking about
1: sure but, the, Austin, the, the, but the line was there I'm just either saying. way mm-hmm. i think
0: i think you're right that that um the the wit and the quickness of that wit and the dialogue that he writes is very clearly his and that's really and i mean he's in a lot of these cases, the only one writing these, mm-hmm. he's working alone. Um, there were there have been very few instances. In Hill Street, there were a couple where he had well, yeah. a team of writers that yeah. he was working with. But both of these were written by him solo. Mm-hmm. And in the show, if you look through the, the credits, it's rare that that happens. Mm-hmm. On The Equalizer, there seem to be three or four writers per episode. So, I mean, that in itself shows his impact on these episodes is clear. And it's easy to see what... His style is like and yeah. what his writing is like. I can't wait to read some of his novels now.
1: yeah yeah well beyond what we have already. Read, yes of course yes ones. I, I yes. mean yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> the uh, the young adult ones and yeah. um, fantasy fiction stuff that he's done because I think that'll be really informative
1: as yeah, well yeah and telling for sure. So that's actually it I mean it's a very <laughs> short episode because it's it's a relatively small. Stuff um, collection of things that we were looking at today. Um,
0: and the, and really, I mean, there there wasn't a it's not like this show requires a lot of deep unpacking or anything no. like that.
1: So, yeah, uh, a shorter episode this week. Uh, it's no Dune episode. I mean, we don't have <laughs> that level of, of background and everything no. to go into or, or discussion to really have um but not
0: even any bickering this
1: episode no not really I sorry was, yeah no we, well, we just agreed i mean we, we both had the exact same reaction when we were watching it so it's kind of middling
0: <laughs> we're, not, we're not overly
1: impressed no but, um but it wasn't terrible either no it was, it was network tv in the 80s yeah. let's just say that um but and our y-
0: former guest stacy is gonna really kick oh his God, ass at yeah. work on He's monday just gonna be
1: so pissed about <laughs> this but too bad stacy sorry um, so next up we have Blue Velvet.
0: Yes, so we're starting to get into the, the nitty-gritty here mm. with um, some of my favorite David Lynch films. Yeah,
1: well, Blue Velvet is one of mine too, yeah.
0: So that'll be really great to to kind of dive into that, and we think we'll have a lot more to talk about there than... Uh, I think so. ...than The Equalizer. But having said that, I think I want to watch a little bit more. I want to watch a few more episodes. All right, and I can. may want to watch the film. I'm just saying.
1: Okay, we can do that.
0: It's It's just, you know... Out of sheer curiosity, (laughs) I want to see where this goes. Sure. I've invested an hour and a half of my life in this show.
1: (laughs) Another hour and a half won't kill you. Plus
0: the half an hour that we've been recording this podcast. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this very short foray into the mid-80s television quote-unquote masterpiece that is
1: (laughs) The The Equalizer. Equalizer. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word.
0: You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks.
1: Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.